The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the fighter versus the writer. I'm Damon Martin. He is Matt Brown and Matt. We are back for another week and another week closer to you punching somebody in the face. I will continue to kick off every single show with that until May 13th rolls around. Uh, how is face punching practice going for the immortal? It's going very well. Uh, I'm doing a lot of punching elbow, uh, face elbowing, face <laughs> kicking, face <laughs> kneeing. So yeah, all the, they're getting sharp, man. It's uh, it's coming close. I realized. So we were talking. There was some news out today. It was a weird one uh, because there was a rumor that the UFC was trying to book Umar Nurmagomedov against Murad Dawalishvili as the main event on May 13th. And that's your card, of course. And I saw that and I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then I was like, hold on now. Wasn't there already a main event for May 13th? And it's Anthony Smith against Johnny Walker. So I was like, what's going on? Well, long story short, Umar Nurmagomedov is not fighting Murab Dawalishvili. Murab's still dealing with some lingering injuries from the uh, Peter Yan fight. And let's be honest, that's a two-month turnaround for another five-round fight. That's a lot to ask of Murab Dawalishvili. So the fight's not happening, but I was kind of like, why are they trying to book a main event for a card that already has a main event? Hmm. So I did some digging today. From my understanding... There's no problem with Anthony Smith and Johnny Walker, at least from what I can find out. So I have no idea why that was happening or how that started to happen or who had the idea for that or what. But either way, as far as I know, Anthony Smith and John, Johnny Walker are still headlining uh, the card you're on. And as we all keep hearing, it's going to be a fight in front of people. We don't know where yet, but uh, it's going to be a fight in front of people, which I know is exciting because, dude, I'm over the apex. I just want to know where, man. Is uh... <laughs> I mean, I'm I normally I don't really I don't really care where. 
I'm not really sweating it, but it's like, I got people asking me every day, like, bro, where's your fight at? I want to get tickets. Uh, you know, everybody's trying to come out and, um, I want to know what the medicals I have to do, right? Like depending on the different States, like I have to do different medicals. Um, I want to know if I need to get adjusted to a different time zone. Um, you know, there's just a lot of things. It's really, I don't ever remember not hearing about a location. I think we're seven weeks out now. Yeah, it's weird too because, like I said, this is getting pretty close. Like generally by now, they're they're they got tickets on sale. You know, they're trying to get things you know moving, and it's weird that they don't have this announced. I've heard rumors. I'm sure you've heard the same rumors. I heard rumors that maybe Nashville. But if that's the case, like why, like what's the holdup in like confirming it and then tickets going on sale? Because seven weeks, that's not very far. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you got to sell tickets, you got to get everything arranged. Like it's just a really weird situation. But I've heard the same as you, which is at least uh, assuming you're hearing the same as me, which is uh, it's going to be in front of a crowd. Like that's all I've heard. I've not heard anything else besides. I've heard it's going to be in front of a crowd. We just don't know where. In other words, it's not going to be at the apex is all that we know. Yeah, all uh, we know. But I mean, I that's, mean, I mean, that's exciting enough. Even, but but in your in your case, absolutely. Like, you want to know all these different things. Like you got a lot of logistical stuff to figure out. Yeah, even confirmed because right? like they're kind of holding off because they're like, well, we got the apex just in case. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I don't know, man. Like I'm over the apex like this last weekend. They did the card in San Antonio, you know, 16,000 people. Wasn't even that big of a card, if we're being honest. Great main event, but it wasn't like it was that super deep of a card. Uh, but 16,000 people. And I know eventually, you know, when people, you know, when the UFC starts going back to cities, you know, twice a year, once a year, maybe you won't get the same crowds you're getting right now because people are still kind of coming out of the pandemic. And it's been like three years since they've been you know, to a live event. But uh, yeah, like it's just the, the energy and everything. You just can't replicate that. Like it's just such a different feeling. And uh you know, I just, like I said, I don't really want to go back. Like the apex was cool for like five minutes. Like it was, Oh, I can hear the corners and I can hear the punches and I can hear when like, you know, Kevin Holland's talking to an opponent in the ring. Like all those kind of things are fun, <laughs> but it, 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 it quickly loses its appeal. Yeah. And fighting there, I mean, to me is not enjoyable at all. You know, once you get in there and start fighting a fight's a fight and it doesn't really matter. Like walking out with no crowd, it just it doesn't have the same energy um you know fortunately like i've been through it before like i fought on the ultimate fighter there's no crowd on fighter um you know it's it's foreign to me and again once the fight starts it, it kind of doesn't really my point but it's more of the before and after like before the fight feeling the feeling the energy of that crowd is the most amazing thing ever just you know all over the place like shaking your hand wanting to meet you you know coming to the hotels at, or you know whatever after party you get and you know hearing the, the child uh, hearing the crowd chant after your fight and cheer man and after a big knockout there's just not a better fucking feeling in the world man yeah no i know like i said i I embraced the apex at the beginning. Maybe it's just because, like I said, the UFC got up and running again. I just was excited to see fights, you know, after we went a couple months, basically, without any fights. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, and like I said, at the beginning, it was kind of cool. Like, I remember, you know, the first couple of fights without fans when it was like, oh, man, it's cool. You can actually hear the coaches yelling and you can hear, you know, the fighters talking to each other and you can hear, like, the punches landing and things like that. Like, there were little things that you don't normally get to hear. And when you've been around the sport as long as you and I have, like they kind of maybe you take a little bit for granted, like you don't hear these kind of things. But 
after, like I said, after about six months, the novelty wore off and I'm just like, God, this is just weird. Like when a big punch lands or a, like, I mean, like when, like, obviously this one's a little closer to home for us, but like when Stipe fought Francis and Ganu, uh, the second time and, 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 and Francis got that knockout. Now listen, obviously Stipe's our guy is an Ohio guy, but like, that's a big moment, right? Like the heavyweight title of the world going up for grabs and Francis scores a huge knockout over a guy that absolutely thumped him the last time they fought. And it goes down. And it's just over. There's no crowd. There's no rip roll. There's like it's just weird. Yeah. Like it's just like one of like biggest one of the biggest moments in heavyweight history. And there's no reaction. Like it's just dead silence. Yeah, that's gonna go down. History is just a crazy time. <laughs> it just sucks, bro. Like, like I don't know why they. Um, yeah, I mean, well, I know why they did it, but I don't know why they kept doing it. Uh, I, I mean, I take it back. I gotta know why they kept doing it. But it's I'm with you. It's time for it to stop. Um, you know, you know, they they more cards, I get it. It's cool, you know, business and everything, it's great. But for us, the fighters, it sucks. That's all there is. Just not that cool. Like we want we want crowds, man. That's like that's a huge part of why we do this. Love being in front of the crowd. We love being under the lights. Uh, we love hearing the crowd cheer at least it feeds me gives me energy and that's a huge part of the experience of when i go in there and fight yeah absolutely absolutely well this past weekend we did get a crowd in san antonio of course the main event Corey sanhagen defeated marlon chito vera i'll be honest the fight didn't play out like i thought it would i thought it would be a little bit more back and forth kind of a battle it really wasn't a battle Corey sanhagen largely dominated really mixed together his game really really well a lot of takedowns ground and pound with his striking controlled the distance uh you know cheeto had a couple of moments here and there but largely it was a Corey sanhagen win uh i didn't think it was really close and i think i scored i think i scored a 50 45 or 49 46 it was no controversy there uh before we get to the controversy which we'll talk about in a second with the one scorecard uh what did you make of the fights i know you were watching and uh and uh, again Corey's a guy i know you know you, you you trained with him out in, in Colorado, so I know that's kind of your guy. But but even I was like, as a guy who's who's actually been a big Corey Sanhagen guy for a lot of years, uh, I thought this was one of his strongest performances. Yeah, that was it right there. It wasn't just a Corey Sanhagen win; it was a Corey Sanhagen masterpiece. And uh, we need to take a moment to appreciate the masterpiece that he put on because he absolutely looked phenomenal, in my opinion. Um, and Cheeto. You know, with all due respect to him, I mean, stylistically, was tailor made for Corey to masterpiece. But Corey put on even more of a masterpiece than I expected him to. And when we we both we we talked about the fight beforehand, we said, look, you know, we all um, we were kind of fifty fifty towards Corey a little bit. I think you know maybe I had a little bit of inklings of leaning towards Corey because we knew what he did Saturday was possible for him to do the. The X factor, what we kept thinking, you know, was that Cheeto would eventually, you know, just catch him with a big shot or uh, find his timing or something like he did with Dominic Cruz. So, you know, and Cheeto's that guy that is just always in there and always, always good problem. You know, you could do that to Cheeto for 10 rounds and he'd still give you a problem. Um, so, again, I, I just, I appreciate watching the fight and watching Corey Sanhagen because, uh, you know, you, I can't say enough good things about 
uh, how good and he he fundamentally so sound. But also, you know, I tell all my fighters when I, when I'm training guys, look, uh, I, you know, if you you guys kind of new, maybe they throw a lot of this wild stuff and spinning stuff and all this, and I always tell them you have to know the rules first to break them. And when it came to Corey Sanhagen, he followed the rules very well and broke them at the appropriate. A lot of the things he does is sort of within the constructs of of as a standard way to do things or a proper way, as some people would say, which, you know, there's no such thing, but he does a lot of things out of the box, but he did them on Saturday at all of the times uh, against a dangerous guy like Cheeto. That's always there to take advantage. And that's where Cheeto tells, I think is when guys do get a little uh, out of position, they get a little bit, uh, try a little too hard to do. So. And he does a good job of getting them fired up and, you know, coming and being angry and, you know, getting him a little bit emotionally involved. Um, and, and Corey just stayed stoic and, and just a, a fight, I thought, man. Yeah, that was the kind of fight. Like, I've been a guy for a long time saying Corey Sandhagen's going to be a champion one day, and that was the kind of a performance that kind of reaffirmed that for me. Like, obviously, he's had a couple mm. losses in there. I mean, there's no shame in losing Piotr Jan. Short notice, you know, he took that fight on shorter notice, went out there and had a had a fight with Peter Yan, lost that fight. Good for you, good for Peter Yan. He's a, he's still a monster. Um, I thought he beat TJ Dillashaw. I, I thought that was a bad decision. I thought he clearly beat TJ. I still don't understand how that decision happened. Uh, but he lost. You know, he has a loss on his record there. I don't agree with it. Um, but yeah, like I, there's, there's still something about Corey. Like I feel like he's still right there. And obviously, I know afterwards he called out Marab Dawalishvili. Uh, seems like the perfect fight to make. We know Marab's not going to fight Aljamain. Corey did fight and lose to Aljamain a couple years ago, so it kind of seems like the perfect fight to make, especially with Sean O'Malley, you know, supposedly getting the winner of uh, of Cejudo and and Sterling. So I think it's kind of the perfect fight to make, and that's a man. I tell you what, that's a fascinating matchup with the way that Marab looked is. in his last fight and the way that Corey looked the other night. Man, that is that's going to be if it, if it happens, that's an incredible fight. Absolutely, that is a wild fight. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen in that fight. If uh, Sanhagen versus Marab happens, that's going to be an incredible fight. I hope it does happen. I don't know. Like, I, because Corey said, he told me beforehand, like, he thought about he was going to call out O'Malley because he thought, you know, that would be a great fight. And I agree. That would be a banger, too. And O'Malley's going to end up sitting out waiting for the winner of Cejudo and Aljamain. And, and they both said they want that fight. So I get it. But man, like, O'Malley's going to be sitting out for a while because, you know, Aljamain and, and Cejudo aren't going to fight until May. And then you gotta imagine, unless there's a quick finish, like they ain't fighting nobody till probably September, October at the earliest. Like O'Malley's gonna be out for a year. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not saying he should he should try to fight Sanhagen or or you know risk his title shot. But uh, yeah, it's kind of weird when it's like the weird for the where the bantamweight division's at right now. But lots of good matchups. Lots of good matchups. A lot of talent in that division. Is it? Yeah. What? Uh, what? Just a god man. Just a fucking amazing group of talented fighters in that division man yeah absolutely absolutely so let's get into the controversy from saturday night matt because you know the fight ultimately played out and and scored you know we ultimately went to the right guy we all agree Corey sanhagen won the fight he dominated for the largest part of five rounds there was no there was no doubt about that but then the scorecards got read and bruce buffer read the first scorecard and he said the score was 48 47 
for Cheeto Vera. And everyone was like scratching their head and saying, what in the hell is going on here? Of course, Sal D'Amato, Chris Lee, two more experienced judges. They ended up scoring it correctly. The right guy won. But it still goes down as a split decision. And the fact that one judge somehow saw that fight for Cheeto Vera is a massive problem. Now, I'm not saying I know you said this on the show, and I agree with you, Matt. We got to call their names out and we got to make this public so we understand who these people are and when they blow a call like this. The guy's name is Joel Ojeda. Now, I'm not trying to make Joel's life a living hell because I'm quite sure he's already heard about it from every single MMA fan on earth by this point. Here's the problem, Matt. This guy had only judged two fights in the UFC, two. And the other one was a prelim fight on the same card. Now... <laughs> Now, I'm not saying he's not an experienced judge judging other cards, but this isn't even going into the criteria. We can have a we've talked about having an entire show and we will do that one day where we will sit down and like come up with what we believe would be a proper scoring criteria and how to fix it. Now, again, even though we can come up with this plan, doesn't mean it'll ever ever be enacted, but we can at least theorize. All right. Like we can say, well, here's how you should score a fight. Get rid of 10, nine. Here's how we would score fights, blah, blah, blah. We're not going there today. The problem today is this Joel Ojeda guy had no business being a judge that night for one. And for two, he certainly had no business judging the main event because his card giving it 48, 47 Cheeto is proof positive that he had no business being in that judge's chair on Saturday night. And thankfully, Chris Lee and Sal Diamato got the score right. Because imagine if another judge had been just as bad as that guy, and then Corey Sandhagen sitting on a loss today that everyone and their mother knows he won. I mean, this is, and this also goes down as a problem, Matt, because a lot of times we get lost in, well, the right guy won, right? Well, yeah, the right guy won, but they're still at a, a horrible scorecard. We can't ignore that. Yeah, I'm not trying to make his life hell either, uh, but I think he should uh, find a different job, though. <laughs> I don't. I don't care what his experience is. Uh, I don't care if he judged a uh, hundred fights before. Like there is no excuse for that scorecard whatsoever, and that's all that there is to it. There, you can. You have to struggle to find one round for Cheeto, and I know some people gave him a round. I think probably the third round. Yeah, I think that um, was one round. And and, I, and it's ridiculous to give him the third round, like because he landed a punch. You know, I mean, look, I love Cheeto Vera, one of my favorite fighters, but he did nothing to to earn a single round on Saturday night. Not a single thing. No way. And I think he would come on and admit it himself. Like, I don't think he would be dishonest about it. You know, maybe it wasn't his best performance or, you know, maybe something happened, whatever. I don't know. You know, he could, you know, talk about that. I'm sure he's moved on. You know, he's already talking about wanting to fight Peter Yan and things, but there's just simply no excuse for that scorecard, period. Uh, like, I don't, there's nothing else to even say about it. Like, that is the biggest bullshit scorecard I think I've ever seen. It's so bad. And you made a great point on Twitter. Somebody brought it up to you and they were talking about Brian Barberina, and he's had a couple of big high profile fights recently. Obviously, he had to fight with Gunnar Nelson couple weeks ago and, and listen he's had a couple losses that happens i mean you know brian's a you know a good fighter and he's had a couple losses no, no shame there but they were talking about opportunities you know opportunities come when you win right like that's just how the sport works and you had mentioned something on twitter about that and that's again what gets lost like your fight with brian barbarina incredible fight fight of the night it was amazing 
But when the right guy doesn't win, and then we just kind of move on from it, we, we forget about the other factors, which is what opportunities didn't you get because you lost that fight versus what you would have gotten if you had won that fight. And we talk about all, again, these are, this is like a butterfly effect, right? You get one bad scorecard and you lose a fight. Not only do you lose half your money, maybe your next contract, they're like, you know what? We're not going to offer you quite as much money for your next contract. When another big fight comes up, maybe a guy falls out and you're like, you know what? Let me get in there. Let me get that fight. And like, well, you're coming off a loss. You know, we're going to look for somebody off a win and little things like that opportunities go away. So we can't just sit here and say that, well, it was a close fight. You lost it. You lost a close decision. We got to take into account all the reverberations, like an earthquake, like all the things that happened down the line from that one thing. Now, again, thankfully, Corey Sandhagen got the win and it should have been a unanimous decision. The right guy won. Again, we always say the right guy won, but we can't ignore that horrible scorecard because guess what? The UFC is going to go back to Texas. They're going to go to Dallas. They're going to go to Houston. They're going to go to Austin. They're going to go somewhere else. And if that judge is anywhere near there, like they should lock him out of the building. Like they should literally just like put his phone, you know, like they put up like the wanted posters. They should put up like the not wanted posters for this dude. Like they should put up outside the building. If you see this man, please report him and make him exit the building. They should let him get nowhere near the scoring table of a UFC event again. And like you said, the right guy won the fight. That's great. But there's only three judges. There's only three scorecards. Like, he was one away from, you know, uh, losing that fight. You know, <laughs> so, you know, it, it just speaks to the larger problem. These guys, you know, whether it's uh, the judges themselves or whether it is the actual scoring system is a little bit flawed and, and confusing. Um, it's just a larger problem. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we're highlighting this because, you know, a lot of people would, would look over it because the right person won and, and it's just kind of forgotten about, but it needs to be highlighted. Like he was one scorecard away. Corey was one scorecard away from getting this taken away from him. Now the fights like, you know, for my, uh, you brought up sort of some of my past fights, you know, and you know, my arguments are a little different, right? Like Corey's, and Cheetah was a very, very blatant, obvious, like anybody, child could score those those fights. My fights, I think, you know, that we were kind of referring to, you know, there's other ones too. We're probably a lot closer. And I think, you know, you just have to have a more of an understanding. And that's, you know, where I kind of get into the whole like judges suck thing and they're, they're just uneducated. This one isn't even just an uneducated. I mean, if if somehow another judge scored that fight for for Cheeto, like we would be saying that was a, you know, there was money involved somewhere. Like there's no possible way that you could have scored it like that. So, I mean, we've seen some pretty bad ones in the past, but that scorecard's got to be one of the top five because, like, like I said, Cheeto in the third round, I, I, as far as I remember, he landed like one punch. And don't look at again. I, I'll go back. I've said it a million times before. Don't look at the fucking stats, the significant strikes, the um, total strikes. It's, it's all fucking garbage, man. Like, you know, these guys, that's just human beings looking at uh, the fight. And, and you know, and at least I know in boxing, that's what they do. They literally have clickers on their hands with, you know, and they, they click it with their thumbs when there's a fight, when there's a punch to land it. And it's like, 
these people don't know whether it was significant or not. They don't know if it was a a fucking clean punch or not. Like punches, uh, there's so such fine lines in between a punch that is meaningful slash significant, whatever that's supposed to mean, and so and a punch that 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 isn't that just grazes or slides off. And sometimes a punch can even land very well and not be significant, you know, towards the outcome of an actual fight. And that's what, you know, in the rules or the, the judge thing, that gets, you know, what they, I don't remember their wording, but, you know, it goes something along the lines of, you know, that's um, contributing towards the finish of a fight. So they say it's, it's so many gray areas and I'm not sure that there is a perfect way, by the way, but again, we'll have a conversation about that sometime uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll lay everything out and, you know, make it all very clear, maybe take some notes and stuff beforehand, do some research, but the, uh, you know, so I'm not sure that there is a perfect way or a perfect solution, but if that scorecard there isn't an obvious sign of something is fucked up here, something is wrong, something needs to change, then I don't know what is. Two things. Let me, let me mention what you said before. I've said this on Twitter before. Significant strikes is the stupidest, dumbest bullshit stat ever. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. Yeah. What is a significant strike, quote unquote? Like, you know what I mean? Like, if you want to count strikes, just so you have a strike count, okay, fine. Still shouldn't play into the factor of who you think won the fight or didn't win the fight. Uh, now, to be fair, the judges don't actually have access to the stats, so I'll give them that credit. They don't have access to that information yeah, during that, the fight. That's a, yeah, that's a great point, because I only bring that up because all the fans on yeah. you know, Twitter or whatever. Oh, yeah, everybody. yeah. Everybody yeah. always brings it up. I'm like, for one, yeah, that's that's a great point. They don't even fucking see that to start with. <laughs> so why? But I I actually hate that they show it on the screen because it's like, well, what yeah, does that even I, mean? Like, what is that? It doesn't mean anything. Like, you call a significant strike versus a strike. What the hell is the difference? Like, they'll have like you you had 200 total strikes. You had 180 total or 200 strikes thrown, 125 landed, and 100 of those were significant. What the fuck does any of that mean? How do you know those 100 were significant strikes? It, it's it, it's the stupidest. It's the dumbest, most misleading stat in in history. It means nothing. It means I, I, I go crazy when people talk about significant strikes because it means yeah, nothing. I, I, I hate it when I see my own stats because I'm like, I'm like, oh, you're saying I hit him significantly 100 times? There's no way he's not knocked out if I hit somebody a hundred <laughs> times significantly. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So let me just start there. Ignore that stat first and foremost. Like if you're watching TV and they put up the stats, ignore it because it means nothing. Okay. First and foremost. Secondly, the other point I want to bring up about judging, and, and I've had this issue with Texas for a long time. The Texas commission might very well be the worst commission in, in all of sports in terms of the athletic commissions with the referees they use, with the judges they use, with some of the rulings. I mean, I think it's, I think Texas was the state that overruled one of, overturned one of Curtis Blaze's wins because he tested positive for weed. I mean, just unbelievably stupid. And, and just terrible decision-making by this commission. And here's the biggest problem, Matt. There's no uniformity between commissions. I've praised, left, right, and center, I have praised the California State Athletic Commission as the gold standard of athletic commissions. Andy Foster, the executive director there, goes out of his way to try to make real substantive changes to the rules and to the referees. Now, is it ever going to be perfect? No, you and I both know it's never going to be perfect. And I don't expect it to be perfect because like when there's really close fights, 
just because you scored the fight a different way doesn't mean it's a robbery. It just means it's a close fight. You know, I've had that argument. Like We talked about Sean O'Malley, Peter Yan's a great example. You scored it yeah. for Yan, I scored it for O'Malley. But guess what? It was a close fight. I wouldn't argue with you one bit if you said Yan won it. And you really, I know you didn't really argue with me that I said O'Malley won. It was a close fight. That's not a robbery. That's just a close fight. But what happened on Saturday night, one judge somehow scoring three rounds for Cheeto Vera. Oh, my God. And the fact that this guy was anywhere near a judge's seat, and he never judged a UFC event before. I mean, I know the UFC doesn't go to Texas every week. I understand that. But there's a lot of events in Texas. And and one thing that Andy Foster does, and Frank Trigg told me this, because Frank Trigg is a referee out there. And he said, one of the reasons why you don't see more fighters and more people involved with judging and refereeing is because Andy Foster requires you to go through hundreds of hours of training and hundreds of scorecards before he'll let you get near a Bellator or a UFC or a PF or one of the major organizations. It's just like, it's just like any other sport. You're not going to referee an NBA game unless you've refereed a lot of high school and college. And you know, you got to work your way up say empty NFL, whatever. You're not going to do that unless you've already gone through the lower levels. Andy Foster makes the referees and the judges go through a just a ridiculous amount of training uh, and and then go out and score lower. So you will know you, if you're in California, you will not sniff a UFC fight until you've judged, you know, uh, you know, LFA and, and all these other organizations, these regional promotions. And I'm not saying those fighters don't deserve to have their, their fight card scored correctly, but we're talking about, you know, getting minor leagues to major leagues. You keep moving your way up. He doesn't allow it. Well, guess what? Sure doesn't seem like Texas has those same requirements that this guy is judging a main event and his first ever UFC fight was earlier the same night. Like that seems, and they also had, they had Dan Mergliata judging fights. He's a referee. Now I'm not saying Dan Mergliata doesn't understand the sport, but what criteria, what world do we live in? Like, I think he hadn't judged a fight in like 15 years. Mm. Like give us changes in 15 years. Like it, it just, it, it Texas commission just boggles my mind. I, I've always said Texas and Florida are the two commissions that drive me the craziest, but Florida's actually come a long way in the last couple of years. Like they've actually made some pretty sound decisions. I'm not saying they're perfect. Trust me. They made some really boneheaded decisions as well, but they've made, they've made strides to get better because a lot more MMA is going there. There's a lot of MMA in Texas. Like they do a lot of events. They may not do UFC events every weekend, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of events in Texas. The fact that through all the all the criteria and all the judges and all the people that could have worked there, they decided to put this guy in the main event. I mean, it's just it's it's I mean, it's it's frustrating. And that is also we talk about like we're not even talking about the criteria. We're not even talking about how to properly score fights. We're not even talking about the 10 point must system. We're just saying that, Matt, if you got to fight in Texas, I would call you and say, Matt, don't go there. Don't go there. Don't fight in Texas because this is the risk you run. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, when we talk about judging, that's just another layer to it, right? Like, what kind of professional job do you just step into at the highest level, right? You have to work your way up in every single profession, right? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even know that myself. That's ridiculous. And, uh, you know, Ohio is pretty decent about it, too. Like, they're going to make you – you're going to be a reputable ref or judge when the UFC comes here. You're not going to be a first-timer guy. Um, I don't know exactly what all the rules are and everything. But, yeah, that that that's just – well, you're just blowing my mind even more. I can't <laughs> believe this. 
Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, this is the issue is that, like, now, like, you can't even, like, you don't, you have to now be specific about where you fight because you got to be worried about, like, who are, because we're not, again, we're not even talking about the criteria. We're not talking about, like, this guy didn't know the criteria. Clearly, he didn't if he scored the fight for Chita Vera. But, like, we're not even getting into that. We're just getting into, like, the, the, the obvious. You don't even have to know the criteria to score that fight for Corey. <laughs> yeah, like, like you I, know that it's a fight, and dude, yeah. that's a punch in the face. Yeah, like I've scored, I and, you know, through my career as a journalist, I've scored hundreds upon thousands of fights. You know what I mean? But even me, for all my experience, I still wouldn't feel comfortable sitting down and just judging a fight because I haven't gone through the proper, you know, the proper instruction. Yeah. I haven't said that. Cause like I actually have sat in on a couple of California state athletic commission meetings where Andy Foster will lead uh, matches for referees and judges. And they'll have discussions. Like we actually rewatched uh, Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan, the second fight when I thought there should have clearly been a 10, eight round in there. And they debated that round and they were talking about why it was or wasn't. And, you know, it was like they voted on it and they had a discussion and, you know, some judges were like, here's why I would give it that. Here's why some judges wouldn't. And they, they had another fight. I think it was Robbie Lawler and, and uh, Roy McDonald from your card where you fought uh, Tim means um, they scored that. They had discussions. They talked. Everyone had a chance to weigh in their opinion. And Andy Foster was talking about criteria, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm not saying commissions in like Texas and Florida, other places don't do this. And I'm not going to continue to sit here and like bang the drum to just go to California. But like, these are the issues we're talking about. Like, are you actually using educated judges? Do they truly know the criteria? Have they scored hundreds of fights before they're actually getting to judge Matt Brown or Corey Sandhagen or Cheeto Vera. Like it just blows my mind that this guy was anywhere near a judge's chair. Like that's just a bad commission. Like that's not even bad refereeing. Like that's like, that's like me saying that's like, that's like you saying, Matt, that's like you saying, Damon, I know you, you like cars. Um, you own a car. So I need you to replace the engine in my car. I'm just going to leave you be. And you're going to switch out the engine in my car. Guess what, Matt? I don't know shit about replacing engines in cars. I could probably go in there and unscrew some shit and some shit will fall off your car. But does that mean I know how to fix an engine in your car? No, you shouldn't put me anywhere near there because you didn't qualify me as a mechanic. That's basically what they did on Saturday. Like, do you know fights? Yeah, I know fights. Do you watch fights? Sure. Here, go judge the main event of a freaking UFC event. Yeah, he was probably the guy in the crowd yelling, why don't you just get up and knock them out? <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of journalists scoring fights, that, that reminds me of an interesting little thing. You know, back, you know, where judging started actually was back in, you know, uh, in, in boxing, it used to be uh, basically unlimited rounds, you know, they go hundred rounds, whatever. And then they started uh, being uh, shorter Right. They just simply didn't have the time for it, you know, and there were, you know, a lot of different reasons. And what they would do, they never did hire judges until I want to say like the 30s or the 40s. And it might have even been later than that, maybe the 50s or 60s. Um, I have to reread up on my boxing history. But anyway, they used to have the newspapers would judge the fights. <laughs> you know, if you ever hear the old story about, uh, I believe it was Willie Pep that, one uh round without throwing a punch like that he didn't actually win the round but the newspapers had him winning the round oh my gosh yeah so it's uh which from 
you know, you say, oh, my gosh. But, you know, the the story is he truly did win the round, right? Like his defense is that amazing, you know. But yeah, I, I'm not sure. You know, Willie Pep was amazing defensively. But anyway, um, you know, that's I think that I don't think that's something that uh, should be completely thrown out either. You know, there's no I don't know. Again, we will have to have a whole conversation about this. I put more thought to it, but I don't think there's any reason why you couldn't have a lot of people scoring a fight, you know, uh, educated people. You know, why does it only have to be three or, you know, four or five judges? Why couldn't you have, you know, a lot of media people do it? Well, there's so many things that they had. Like, I know in New Jersey, they talked about trying where they were going to put judges in like an isolation booth where you wouldn't hear the crowd. You would just like watch the fight. You know yeah. what I mean? And I've heard like, you know, putting them in a booth where you don't hear the, you know, where you're not by the cage. Cause I've, and I've said the one judge and one, one, um, crit, one criticism, but one defense I've had of judging in MMA is that I've sat cage side hundreds of times. And I would say out of those hundreds of times, let's say I've been to 500 UFC events. I have no idea. I'm making that number up. Uh, 500 UFC events. I probably spend about 375 of those staring up at the screens because with the actions right in front of you, it's hard yeah. to see or you're, you're on the other side of the cage or you're in grappling exchanges on the ground. It's tough to see from that vantage point. Now, granted, the judges are about five feet closer and they are elevated. Like they're actually up at the eye level, of the yeah. octagon, I'm a little lower than the octagon on the table for media. So they have a little better vantage point, but ultimately they're still looking at, you know, when you're across the cage, like it doesn't seem like it's very far, but it is far. Like you can't really see the nuances of like when someone's going for a submission sometimes when they're all the way across the cage. So like they've talked about doing that where you put them in the back and they have a TV screen because you can see better on the screen. Like you just can. Uh, that's the reason why when you watch the commentary teams, when you watch Joe Rogan or John Anik or whoever, uh, they're watching the monitors. They're not watching the octagon. They're watching the monitors because they get a better view of what's actually happening. So, yeah, like, there's all kinds of issues here of what you can do to fix it. Again, I wasn't, I'm not trying to get into like a whole conversation of fixing judging, but this one was so egregiously bad that it's not even like the criteria. It's not like, you know, it's not like he wasn't looking at the screen. This guy just had no idea what he was looking at. Like, he was yeah, just, uh, I think he, I finished with, with like, okay, we, we could always say it's not the criteria, but. Dude, the you don't even need to know the criteria. Like that was, yeah. it is that bad of a decision. Like this is a again. My mom could have watched that, um, and my mom doesn't even watch my fights. By the way, so <laughs> when I use her as an example, she's not a big MMA fan. She wishes I didn't do this. So, um, you know, she could watch. My grandmother could watch the fights and and tell you who won that one. You know, like this. It was that bad of a decision, and. Um, you know, we could harp on it all night, man. And, um, you know, we, we did on Twitter a little bit and, you know, and it's, it's the same thing, man. We, we're just going to, it's like another bad decision. This one just to me was it, just the fact he gave him three rounds too. You know, if it was like one round in question, right. I think one judge gave him a 49, 46, right. They maybe a different judge gave him. Some people were talking about third round. He gave him three rounds. Yeah. Like you cannot justify that. That is absolutely fucking ludicrous. Get the fuck out of here with that. <laughs> and, and and as I said, and, and just to close out on this, Matt, and again, the right guy won. You know, we keep saying that, you know, thankfully. Thank 
But there was also, like, I know there was talk about, like, the Macy Barber, Andrea Lee fight. There's a little controversy in that scorecard that night. I didn't get into, like, the, you know, I did, I'll be honest, I didn't watch that fight from start to finish. Um, I, I basically watched the main and co-main from start to finish. I was, I was gone on Saturday, so I wasn't actually watching the event from start to finish. But anyways, um, again, I just want to mention again, the right guy won, but we also talk about when the right guy doesn't win, the opportunities to get taken away. We talk immediately about losing happy. There's just so many repercussions of when a judge gets it wrong. Like I said, we blow up and say, oh my God, this guy got robbed. But then you think about, well, they just lost half their paycheck opportunities, maybe sponsors, maybe their next con. Like again, I think that's has to be pointed out. Like, yes, Corey Sandigan won and the right guy won. And, and thankfully two judges actually watched the fight. Um, but again, as you said, imagine if one guy didn't imagine if one more guy, and he got it. And now what Corey's what he's on, you know, he's on a loss. He, you know, he, that Barab fight goes away. He's no longer close to a title shot. Like so many things go away because these judges can screw up a fight. Yeah. And then we forget about it tomorrow. Right? And we that's talk why- about blow up, talk our Twitter shit, talk our podcast shit. And we're like, all right, on to the next thing. There's too many fights anyway. So. Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's the realism, right? Like, you, like, when, again, I keep going back to you because we talk, and I know yours was a, a closer fight. But again, you lost half your pay. You know, maybe you would have been, maybe you would have gotten a top 15 fighter. I know you said on the podcast, you know, you're not necessarily chasing titles anymore, but like, you could have had a co main event or a main or a yeah. main card fight on a big pay per view. Like, again, little things like that go away because you're off a loss and not a win. Well, you know, in, in my particular situation, you know, like I said, I, I lost to uh, Condit and now Barbarina, right? So I'm on a two-fight losing streak. Both of them, I felt like I won. I think, you know, there is an argument to be made that, that Condit beat me. So, you know, I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to harp on it. I don't dwell on the, either, either of these. It's just part of the conversation that we're having right now. Um, but on a two-fight winning streak versus a two-fight losing streak, your mind is a lot different on where you're you're gonna go with your career, right? Like right now, you know, I'm saying, yeah, I'm probably not, you know, not really looking to get a title fight or anything. I'm just gonna do a few more fights and do it for fun and and things like that. Whereas if I was on a two fight winning streak against those guys, you're like, okay, maybe I would start thinking about you know going for a run or something, you know. And it's not that that's out of the question now anyway, but um, you know, that's not where my mind's. I'm like, I got to get. I got to get back on the W column. Yeah. So, you know, th- this is not, uh, you know, just exclusive to me. This is just my situation that I'm talking about. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, the NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And new customers to DraftKings can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Real quick, obviously we talked a little bit about uh, scoring and everything. This past weekend, you mentioned boxing with Willie Pep. Uh, this past weekend, there was a big boxing match. David Benavidez beat Caleb Plant. You know, it's funny going in. I'm, 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 again, I've said this a million times in the show. I'm not a huge boxing guy. Matt, you are a huge boxing guy. But I do watch the big fights. This was a big fight. Uh, I'm a big Benavidez guy. I like him a lot. And I actually thought going into the fight that Caleb Plant was being a little bit underrated. Turns out I was right with my initial instinct that David Benavidez is a freaking badass because, man, he looked good. And, boy, I tell you what, uh, he looked amazing. And now he wants Canelo. And I'm just like, I don't know if Canelo really wants Benavidez. I don't know. You tell me. Like, am I, am I, right, am I, a, little, am I a little too high on the David Benavidez train right now? No, I was never as high on the David Benavidez train until last weekend. And I've been fairly high on him. I just never thought he really had a chance to beat Canelo. Or uh, I kind of thought Caleb Plant would probably give him a tougher time than he did. I thought Caleb would probably make him miss a lot more. And, um, you know, Caleb made it difficult for him. But, you know, Benavidez shined. You know what I mean? So um, now watching Benavidez come up through the ranks. I've been watching him for a while and um, I am set. He is going to beat Canelo just stylistically. I think he's a terrible matchup for Canelo. I think with his jab, um, he's got one of the best jabs out there. He's long, he's tall. He hits very hard, has a lot of power. And I don't think Canelo's ever dealt with someone like that. And I think that that's kind of Canelo's weakness really is like someone that can jab well and, uh, you know, withstand the power or or, or uh, hit him with some power, I should say. And, uh, you know, Canelo's going to hit him, though, also. And I think that's going to be the biggest question is if Benavidez can handle uh, Canelo's power. And Canelo is very slick and has very good defense. But, um, you know, Canelo's going to try to walk him down. That's what he generally does, right? He, he's sort of a pressure guy, likes to walk you down. He's gotten slicker and slicker over the years, but – 
you know, he really shines when he walks people down. And I don't think he's going to be able to walk down David Benavidez because of his jab and his power. Let me ask you this, Matt. I'm asking this question because, again, I'm not as as experienced and understanding of boxing. But obviously, like when when Canelo went up and lost a fight to Demetri Bivol, like I think even though he was going up a weight class and and obviously and all those things were in account, people were still you know thinking this is Canelo at his best. Canelo's you know still pound for pound best guy in the world. And then Bivol put on a performance, and you're like, okay, well maybe it was a bad idea going up that high in weight, whatever the case may be. Um, I think back now, obviously their ages are different. I know that. Like when, when Canelo fought Triple G, I thought he lost, you know, <laughs> he lost. He and, yeah. So, the but the third fight, yeah. This, the, so the third fight was not really great. Like it was Canelo and, and Triple G, you could just tell he was a little older. You know, he wasn't the same mm-hmm. Triple G that was just blowing people out of the water, you know, five, five, six years ago. And we all knew it at that point. Now, that's not to say Triple G can't go out there and knock out some people and win some more fights. I'm just saying, like, maybe he's not that guy anymore. Like, he's not the number one guy anymore. Maybe I number agree. three, number four. Is Canelo, Are people catching up to Canelo a little bit now, or is Canelo slowing down at all, or is this just really, like, the competition is just that much better now? Because I remember a few years ago, outside of the Triple G fight, like, there was just not a fight where I felt, like, confident somebody could beat Canelo. Now, I fully admit, I did pick tri- I did think Triple G could do it, and I did think he did it at least once. Uh, but, again, that's neither here nor there. But uh, I don't know. Like, you t- I'm, not, I'm not saying this, like, as a, as a... I'm not saying this as a negative to Canelo. I'm just saying, like, am I... Is there is there some validity in the competitions catching up, catching up to Canelo, and maybe is Canelo taking a step back? Now? I don't know. I'm curious. I'd say in my opinion, uh, and you know, there's going to be a lot of different opinions on on all those questions that you have there, right? I can only give you my opinion. Um, I picked Bavol to beat him, um, and not just because of the size, but because Bavol is very fundamental and a little bit awkward, but does the fundamentals just so fucking well and moves very well um, and has a great jab. That That's, again, when you talk about fundamentals of boxing, like having a great jab – goes farther than just about anything else. That's why Triple G beat him the one time that he did beat him, even though they didn't give it to him. You know, it was because of the jab. Um, I also see, in my opinion, Canelo has never been as great as they've made him out to be. He is a great boxer. Um, He's a champion. He's a Hall of Famer, all that. But he's not number one pound for pound. It never has been, in my opinion. I believe he's lost a few fights. Uh, Arzalandi Lara, for one, I think beat him really badly, actually. Um, I picked Bavol to beat him. Now I'm picking Benavidez to beat him. And, uh, again, I've just never been as big on Canelo. I'm a huge Canelo fan, so I'm not, like, putting him down or anything or trying to be, you know, that guy or anything, you know, but – to be honest, I just don't think he is as great as they make him out to be. And one of the things I love about Canelo is he goes out to prove you wrong too. Like he goes, like he went up and wait to fight Bivol, and that was very respectful. He fought Triple G three times, which I didn't think he would do. Um, with all I said, yeah, I think the competition's catching up to him, and um, and because he was never that far above all these guys to begin with 
So yeah, so it's not so it's a kind of a combination thing. It's it's that not necessarily he's losing a step. It's maybe that he wasn't, in your opinion, maybe. Now I, I hate using the word overrated, but maybe a little bit. He was made to be a little bit better than what he actually was, like that kind of thing, like just a little bit, like yeah. you know, like I people are gonna lose their minds when I say this, like because I've picked him many many times, but like a little bit of our. Like when Conor McGregor was on top of the world and he was beating everybody, he looked unstoppable. But then you put him against the Khabib, that's just a bad matchup, and he's just not Khabib. Like he's just not. That's just going to be a fight that he's going to lose probably nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, just because that's always going to be a bad matchup for him. Uh, in a way, in a way, Canelo's a little bit of that. Like he's probably going to struggle with Bivol every single time. Like that's never going to be a fight that he's going to look yeah, good in. Is that? I think your now stands up somewhat. I, I would only disagree a little bit because I actually think Connor is that good. Um, I well, I'm not saying is, I'm not saying Connor's not. I'm saying like in certain matchups. Like I'm not saying Connor lost the step. I'm just saying like well, that's, as that's as, what, yeah, and, as, and as, as, as on top as on top of the world as Connor was, Khabib was always going to be a bad matchup for him. Yeah, and this is where I think we've had this conversation before where I disagree a little bit. I think, yeah, actually, if he if he stays himself and trains the way he did coming up and and puts everything together, I don't think Khabib beats him 10 out of 10 times. I think it's more like 5 out of 10. I, th- I don't think – I think uh, Connor is way closer to beating Khabib than people think he is. I disagree on that one. I disagree. It's not everybody, because I think well, everybody would disagree, but <sighs> I, I see a lot of little details when I'm when I watch that fight. I watched it like three or four times, and Connor made very very small mistakes in stopping the takedown. Very small, which I guarantee, if he goes back, has the right coaches and everything, has that hunger to train and drill like he used to, I think they could be fixed, and I think he could come back and beat him. I mean, I think if Connor, I think if Connor could do to Khabib what Volkanovski did to Islam, except you have Connor's power, because yeah. Volkanovski is not known as a power puncher; he's a volume puncher. Yeah, he'll put yeah. your he'll put your lights out, but he'll do it over four rounds. Connor can do it with one hand. If Connor had that kind of takedown defense, it's a different fight. I just haven't seen him. I, I've said this a million times, and I appreciate his loyalty to to John Kavanaugh, and I appreciate everything, but like. I, I want Connor to work with like world class. Like I want him to bring in, you know, Bo Nickel and you know yeah. and and Gable Stevenson and 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 uh, you know uh, guys like that, like uh, uh, Roman Bravo Young, who just won an NCAA. Like bring in these just monstrous wrestlers who are going to. You're not going to throw punches. They're just going to put you on the ground and you got to get up, get up, get like, I want to say, and I just, that that's the one thing I feel like that's always been missing from Connor's game in terms of the wrestling is even Poirier was taking him down. I'm not saying Poirier isn't a good wrestler. Poirier is an incredible fighter all the way around, but I'm saying like Poirier is not a guy you would look at and say, man, his takedowns are just off the charts. You know what I mean? Like that's not what Poirier does at his very best. He's known for his incredible boxing, his, his lightning right, quick right. speed. And all. I want to see if Connor, if Connor, it's all hypothetical. It is. is me, me personally believing that Connor, more of his fall off was due to his own personal partying and issues than it was his talent. I think he has the talent to beat anybody in the world. I think he actually is, has the talent to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. But he enjoyed the spoils of war too much and it's over. And that's why it's so hypothetical now. Cause he's not going back to that grind that he was in one time. He's not going to, um, he's still going to win fights. Um, 
I think he has a great shot against uh, against Chandler. I think it's going to be an amazing fight, but he's not going to he's not going to go through that wrestling grind that he has to go to go through to beat Khabib. You wonder, like, it's so crazy. When he beat Eddie Alvarez, and I was there that night, and that was one of the most incredible performances, the way he just absolutely danced around. I mean, it was – Eddie Alvarez is a really good fighter, and he just – I mean, it looked like a mismatch. Like, it was not not a fight. Like, you don't do that to Eddie Alvarez. Like, Eddie Alvarez loses sometimes. He doesn't lose like that. You know what I mean? You do not do that to Eddie Alvarez. He just, I mean, it was, I was like, I was stunned. And I picked Conor to win that fight, but I was like, my God, I didn't expect it to go like that. Um, You wonder if he just continues on at that point and doesn't do the Mayweather fight, like, because I think that was Conor to speak. And if Conor kept going after that in 2016, going into 2017, I would agree with you. I think we might be talking about the greatest mixed martial artist in history. He was on a run. His confidence was sky high. He was as good as ever. He took that. Pay- and I don't fault him for taking that payday, by the way. He took a $100 million payday. Anyone would do that. I would do that today, Matt. You know what I mean? They, Matt, we talked we talk the last couple weeks ago, like you would never fight your friends. If somebody offered us $100 million to fight each other, the fight would last eight seconds, but fuck yeah, I'd take that money, and you would too. $100 million, <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, and it would be the easiest fight of your life. But I'm just saying, like, I don't fault him for taking the money. That's life-changing. That's, that's generation-changing money. But I also think that one moment changed everything for the course of his career. Yeah, changed everything for the course of mixed martial arts, period, right? Like, <laughs> like wouldn't Gatto be where he's at right now and Connor not done that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so weird. Like, it's just like that one. Like, I, I again, I'm like, I'm of two minds. Like, I can't say he did it wrong because, of course, $100 million, biggest, second biggest pay-per-view in history, of course you do that. But on the yeah. flip side, I just don't think Connor was ever the same after that. Like, he took off two years. He came back and fought a Khabib who was hungry, who was just nasty at that point. He had all the just that was Khabib in 2019 or 2018 when they were yeah 2018 when they fought was what Connor was in 2016. You know what I mean? Like he had oh man yeah. he was on you know, on a roll and he looked was, like and a monster. He was only boxing. He was only yeah. boxing. Like like don't get me boxing is fucking hard, but it is not wrestling hard. Yeah. Like when you grind with wrestlers with high level wrestlers. It is a different fucking grind that not every, like it sucks, bro. <laughs> Especially for the first like year, two years. Like, like I was at the high RTC with those guys for years and I, I mean, I never got to their level, but dude, when I say it sucks, like I was young and it sucks every day. Like the things that wrestlers can do to you are, are the worst things that you could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> And, and and when I say what they could do to you, yes, they could do sexual things to you if they wanted to, right? <laughs> like like when you're going with a guy uh, smaller than you that can put you in any position he wants at any moment that he wants, like that is so much more miserable than just getting punched in the face a bunch of times. Like I would rather get punched in the face any day by a uh, fucking Floyd Mayweather or Canelo or Bavall or whatever then you go up against these Olympic level wrestlers, you know, like a Bo Nickel, right? Like, didn't you used to train with Logan Steber when he was there? He was down there when you were there. Me? Yeah. I mean, Logan was there, but he, I mean, he's a 130, 130, 140 pounds. I didn't go with him. 
I wasn't sure. He's still a monster, though. Like that's what I'm talking about. Like, oh, it's just a, yeah, don't yeah. get me wrong. He'd probably still fuck me up. But uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> now, some of my main training partners down there, you know, we're talk about names. Uh, Keith Gavin was probably one of my main guys. He's the head coach at Pitt now. Um, he was number. I want to say number two on the Olympic ladder. Um, he might have even got on a world team once or twice. Um, but you know, he's every bit of world medalist level. Um, he was one of my main guys. Mike Basillo was a big guy. He was a two-time national champion. Um, and one of the things I found out about him is he actually won one of those with a torn pec. Like, I mean, this is what I'm talking about with wrestlers. Like these guys are a different fucking breed, man. Like, like, are you seeing any boxers out there winning with, with torn pecs? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like it is a different fucking breed of person, man. And and these guys aren't doing it for the glory, right? Are, are doing it for money, right? Like, like, you know, Canelo might be one of the toughest guys in the world, but he's also getting paid $50 million every time he steps in there. These guys are doing a 10 times tougher sport and they ain't getting jack shit. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, they get a little bit, you know, they live a decent lifestyle or whatever, but you know, they're on the fucking mats all day, man. Um, it, it, when you talk about a different sport, like you, you can't, uh, like you can't describe it until you feel it. Like it's something you have to go in and do and you have to experience to understand how miserable it can be. I went with uh, Kyle Snyder, for instance, when he was 16 years old, he was on a recruiting trip and because instantly NCAA regulations, he's not allowed to go with the team. So they put him with me, you know, just this, you know, stupid fighter guy that'll go head to head with anybody and, and, you know, scrap hard as I can and give him a good look. Right. And thank God he went on to be a freaking Olympic champion, one of the best wrestlers America's ever seen. Cause I'm 32 years old at the time. He's 16. And I mean, he literally could have done anything he wanted to me. There, I had no recourse whatsoever. So and you're talking about a 16 year old kid, you know, like wrestling is different, bro. <laughs> like, and, yeah, and, when you're in there, and again, yeah. when you're in there with these guys, like um, JD Bergman was one of my favorite guys, you know, cause I mean, he could just again uh, another guy could just do anything he wanted to me. You know, he was a uh, um, big 10 champion, uh, all American more than once. Uh, you know, and, and at the time I was going with him, he's wrestling at 211 pounds. So he's walking around 215 and, you know, he was being pretty light with me most of the time. Um, but you're talking about, you know, you're, you're bending down for an hour straight with a guy pulling down on you and pushing you, you know, pulling on your back, pulling on your neck, grabbing your arms. And, and, and again, that the, there's nothing you can do to stop it. People don't understand uh, until you've experienced it. They don't understand when I say there's nothing you can do to stop it, there is nothing <laughs> like, like, like it's like me playing with my children. <laughs> it's funny you say that because, uh, I remember talking to Kyle Dake a couple years ago, Olympic bronze medalist, four-time world champion, four-time NCAA champion, one of the best wrestlers in America today. And I remember I interviewed him a couple of years ago uh, before the Olympics, and he had talked about doing a grappling match with Khabib, like a grappling, not a wrestling match, a grappling match, like a, you know, pure grappling match. He's like, yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. And I asked him, I was like, so you're talking about grappling, not wrestling. And he kind of laughed. He's like, no, no, not, not wrestling, grappling. And I was like, oh, so you wouldn't want to wrestle him. He's like, no, that's not a fair fight. Like, that's just not fair. Like me wrestling Khabib is not fair. 
And I said the same thing to Kyle Snyder because Kyle at one point was like, I want to fight, I want to fight. And, you know, he eventually said, I don't want to fight. I'm just going to stick to winning gold medals and, and winning medals for the United States. And I said at some point, I said, would you ever consider doing like a wrestling match, like for fun? Like, you know, like they had like, you know, whatever. And he's like, it just wouldn't be fair. Like when Jordan Burroughs wrestled Ben Askren after he'd been out of wrestling. Remember when they did that at Beat, Beat the Streets a couple of years ago? It was like 16 nothing or what? It was like just a, it was over in like two minutes. And that's Ben Askren. He was an Olympian, a two-time national champion. And Jordan just toyed with him because when you're wrestling on a daily basis, like it's a different level. Like. Khabib is an incredible wrestler. Islam Makachev is an incredible wrestler. You throw him in against Kyle Snyder, against David Taylor, against Kyle Dake, they're going to get wrapped up like a bow and thrown down to the ground because it's just a different, like you said, it's just different. Wrestling, and that's a great wrestler for MMA. So, yeah, but that's what I talk about with Connor going back to the Connor conversation. Like, when you're not that guy for a little while, you just lose it. And, and, and I just don't think he ever got it back. And that's not to say I don't think Connor's great. I think Connor's incredible. But I just think it's like that one moment in his life. He 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 zigged left, and I don't blame him for taking the payday. But imagine if he had zigged right. Imagine yeah. if he had just kept going on that path where he was the baddest motherfucker on the planet. Right, and you see that in all fighters and even uh, all athletes all together. Right, there's a you have a window of time when you're firing on all eight cylinders, and as soon as one of those cylinders starts misfiring somebody's taking your spot, man, because they're they're going to be firing on all eight cylinders. And that's the game, man. That's what makes it so exciting. Everybody's so fucking hungry. And, uh, you know, and Connor's not on all eight cylinders anymore. And like I said, if he, if he was for a long time, I think he, you know, again, it's hypothetical, but I think he could have beat anybody in the world. Well, I mean, don't, let's not forget, I and mean, I'm just you know throwing this out there, that you know there was once upon a time on our old podcast when someone was convinced that Jose Aldo was going to beat Conor McGregor, and there's somebody else sitting on the other side who said Conor McGregor's going to win, and I put down $250 against somebody else, and I said Conor McGregor's going to win, and then, you know, when it was 16 seconds later, I was right. I'm not saying the other person who made that bet's the other person on the other end of this conversation, but I'm just saying, I was, I'm definitely a Conor guy. Like, I picked Conor many, many times. Uh, I just, again, we talked, I know this is a little slightly different conversation we talked about it last week with the whole age thing like uh, you know fighters over 35 fighting for ufc titles like 2 and 28 whatever the ridiculous record is at lower weight class be, be smaller than 185 and i know age is a slightly different conversation but it's the same kind of thing like same kind of theory like when you when that when something changes when that younger guy is hungry and that guy's coming for you and you lose just a little bit of a step whether it's just maybe you're not wrestling as much or maybe you're sleeping on silk sheets or whatever we want to talk about like that just that little bit is the difference between winning and losing in this sport and when that other guy comes up and he's willing to do what you're not or he or he's doing what you're not not that you're not willing but he's just doing it at a different level than you're doing it and that's just that's the nature of the beast, man. Like I said, this is, yep. this is, this is, you know, uh, this is man versus beast kind of thing. You know what I mean? When you lose, and I think Connor, I 100% believe that I doubt in my mind, if he had fought, if he had fought Khabib right after the Eddie Alvarez fight without skipping a beat, I'd be with you 50, 50, hundred percent. I'd be with you coming back from the Mayweather fight. I was no longer 50, 50. Right. Right. So that's, yeah, that's where I'm at. Like, and, and I don't even know if necessarily right after the Eddie Alvarez fight, but you know, I think it would have been more competitive for sure at that point. Um, but it, even, I don't even know if Connor was going through that wrestling grind at that point. But yeah. I think my whole point is if Connor took that time at some point in his career, went through that wrestling grind, 
I think, you know, he was excel in it, and I think he'd be able to beat Khabib. Yeah, he could. I mean, he could dude, throw that guy in the throw that guy in the mm-hmm. Penn State wrestling room. And for, when you're for... talking about guys like Connor and Khabib, you know, fighting at that level, uh, you know, especially you know, like guys like Khabib fighting at that level. I mean, you know, to beat a guy like that, you know, it, you're not going to beat him ten out of ten times. Yeah, like, no. They're, they're just that, that's just the nature of the sport, right? You're not beating the guy ten out of ten times. Like I don't think Alex is going to beat Izzy ten out of ten times, and they might end up fighting ten times. <laughs> <laughs> Izzy's going to have to find that magic moment, you know, but that'll be next week's conversation. But, you know, again, when you're at that level, like 10 out of 10 doesn't work. Like you have to be so on point that single night. And so before we get out of here, uh, we talk about Khabib and his team, the monsters. I mean, good God, that team right now, you got, obviously Khabib's retired. He's not coaching as much now, but you got, Islam Makachev on top of the world. You got Usman Nurmagomedov ruling over in Bellator. You got Umar Nurmagomedov, who is a freaking monster. Uh, all these up-and-comers. And then I just broke the news last week. The Olympic silver medalist in wrestling from 2020, who beat Kyle Dake, blanked him 11-0 in the Olympics. His full name, check out this name, Matt. Now, he goes by a different name now. Magomed Khabib Kaji Magomedov. That is like the most badass Russian name. Like, you are just fucked fighting that guy listen to that magomed khabib is his first name you got those two names combined you ain't beating this dude his, he's going by kaji magomedov is is kaji kaji magomedov is what he's going to go by professionally now in, in mma he signed with bellator he trains with the nurmagomedov team he came up under the nurmagomedov team in dagestan holy shit like here's another one a silver medal he's a he's a featherweight he's gonna fight a featherweight uh he beat kyle dake 11 nothing in the olympics two years ago Oh my yeah. God! This, this dude. Is- this is what's so fucking exciting about this sport, man. When I was coming up in this sport, I mean, we, I guess we had like Mark Coleman, and uh, you know, occasionally, you know, an amazing athlete like that. But you know, these guys are starting to make the move into MMA, and you know, like the Bo Nichols and you know Kaji, and uh, I mean, bro, this is you know, even the kickboxers, Alex and and Izzy, you know. Dude, this sport is going fucking places, man. It's, it's just amazing, bro. Like the athletes coming into this sport. Wow. Uh, we're, we're off to the races now and it's just going to be a sight to see. And, um, I'm, I'm glad I don't have to fight that son of a bitch. That's all I tell you. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about some fights next week. Cause next week is going to be our official preview show for UFC 287. We're going to talk about, Israel Adesanya against Alex Pereira, four, five, three, two, whatever you want to call it. They fought four times now, two times in MMA. Uh, it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to talk about that. We're also going to talk, of course, about Gilbert Burns and Jorge Masvidal. That's an incredible fight. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to break down fights, give our picks and predictions, uh, and break down everything from that. And, of course, uh, the fallout. Uh, this weekend, we don't have as many cards. PFL's coming back. Of course, Bellator's got a card. Of course, there is that game-bred boxing event with uh, Roy Jones Jr. against Anthony Pettis. That's an interesting one uh, on maybe different levels than what we're thinking. Uh, and then uh, Jose Aldo boxing Jeremy Stevens. Jacare is boxing uh, Vitor Belfort. So, I don't know. We'll see how this whole thing plays out over the weekend. So, we'll maybe talk a little bit about that on Monday. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but we're going to definitely talk about UFC 287 next week, of course. And uh, we'll get one week closer to Matt's fight as we continue with the camp countdown, so to speak, for uh, Matt Brown versus Court McGee up on May 13. Matt, before we get out of here, where can people check you out? Where can people uh, support your sponsors? Support the people who are supporting you. Yeah, you know, you can check me out on Instagram and Twitter at I am the Immortal, Facebook, the Immortal Matt Brown, 
Check out my sponsors, routine.co, R-O-O-T-I-N-E.co, multivitamin, precision nutrition, specifically made for you. They take your blood, your DNA, build a multivitamin around what you need, your deficiencies. Um, What else? The immortalcoffee.com. You know, no crash coffee, man. Best coffee you're ever going to have. Have you had my coffee, by the way, Damon? I have not had your coffee. Why are you slight? Are you too a coffee guy? I'm not a big coffee guy now. Oh, that's why you haven't had it. Yeah, right? I'm not, not. But, but, but you could still give us some coffee because my girlfriend loves coffee. She loves coffee. So she's the one. She could probably testify to the immortal coffee. So if you want to give us some coffee. Place about 15, 20 minutes away from your house where you can go purchase them. Oh, really? Where is this at? It's in Lewis Center. It's called <laughs> Immortal Martial Arts Center. Let's get another advertisement. Know. I was trying. I was trying to lead you in that advertisement there. Let's lead, lead, lead into the uh, to the gym that's uh, that's making champions up there in uh, in Lewis Center, Ohio. Yeah, well, so far a bunch of amateur champions at least, but hey. you know, we, we got some guys working their way up. The nice thing about my gym man, is like all the guys are homegrown. You know, there's not any guys that. Uh, you know, I don't invite guys to come from other gyms and stuff. Um, you know, local gyms I do, but you know, I'm, I'm not inviting guys to come. I'm, I'm not trying to uh, swindle or you know pay guys to come train, build this badass team like that. Like, I want all the guys coming up under me, building that trust and loyalty. And um, you know, they're, they're few and far between, but um, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so make sure you check out all that stuff to support Matt. And, of course, we'll be back next week with another edition of Fighter vs. Rider talking about UFC 287. Make sure you check us out on all of your favorite podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over on the best website in the world, MMAfighting.com. We will see you next week for another edition of the Fighter vs. the Rider. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you then. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.